If your Bibles turn with me to the book of Romans this morning, we'll be in Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter 8, we'll start in verse number 18. I love this passage because this is one of the most glorious promises of God. It gives us a, some words of comfort, but it also gives us a promise that the way things are today aren't the way they're always going to be. It acknowledges the fact that there are struggles in this world, that there are sufferings in this world. Not just for us, but for the world itself. These sufferings are, are something that we live with, we deal with, they get worse and worse, but it's not the way it's always going to be. Romans chapter 8, verse number 18 says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So first of all, we see that there are sufferings in this world. There is a spiritual warfare that takes place. The realities of suffering in this world are undeniable. They take many different forms. Sometimes the sufferings are physical. Sometimes they're emotional. Sometimes they're very personal. Sometimes they're very, very global. Heard where a plane crashed today, and 68 people, I believe, out of 72 have been found dead already. I don't know if they're looking for their four, if they found four survivors. I don't, I don't know the details of it. But that means there's a lot of families that are waking up today to the reality that their loved ones are gone. And their suffering is very severe today. We look at it and we say, oh, what a tragedy. They're waking up to the reality that their entire family, their entire life has completely changed forever by what took place. And we never know what each day is going to bring, except we know that it's going to bring some type of suffering. Sometimes it's just little sufferings. This cold weather, it's Florida cold weather. How many of you woke up with new body aches this morning? That's a special suffering, right? Get out of bed and say, well, that didn't hurt before, but it's because the weather changed, and we're not used to it. Now, those are minor sufferings. There's a, those are temporary sufferings. They're not like losing a loved one. It's not like getting that phone call from the doctor where the you know, doctor has bad news for us. It's a temporary suffering, but nevertheless, it's a suffering. And the Bible acknowledges it. God acknowledges it here in many other places that the suffering is real. We suffer sufferings even as Christians. We can try to ignore it, and it, it always amazes me where you know, I'll talk to somebody that, well, I'm a Christian, I don't have any sufferings. Where do you live? Because the Bible tells me that I'm going to have sufferings as long as I'm here. The difference between me and somebody else is, is I have a helpmate. I have someone to stand with me. Someone that tells me I'll never be alone, I'll never be forsaken. Jesus Christ is there with me. So no matter how bad the suffering is, I'm not suffering alone. No matter how alone I feel, I'm not alone. I have Christ and the Holy Spirit with me all the time. And so this passage, it, it tells us you know, there's sufferings. The believer is going to suffer. The believer is going to struggle. As, the, as we continue to try and live a Christ-filled life, it puts us at odds with the world. And when we live at odds with the world, the world is going to push back against us. It's going to create sufferings. It's going to create problems. That's the reality of us living in this world. Remember, this isn't our home anymore. Once we've accepted Christ as our Savior, now we're a stranger in a strange land. Our home is in heaven. And we're just passing through here. And there's going to be sufferings. There are going to be people that don't understand. There's going to be people that just attack just because they want to attack. 
We've had some attacks against the church on social media recently. Didn't really take off the way that people hoped they would. I saw them. I didn't respond. I see Wes responded to one of them very tastefully and tactfully. Thank you, Wes. But I was just sitting back and watching it, and people that I don't even know were, were like attacking. I'm like, why do you judge that church? You've never even been there. And it was over something silly. They were trying to make a joke, and it just fell flat on their face. So there's, there is some support out there, but, but the world, they drive by and they see the church, and they're offended by it. They drive by and they see the cross on the steeple, and they're offended by it. Why? Because it focuses a light upon their hearts. And it creates suffering for us. That's why the, the cross on the water tower had to come down. That's why it had to be removed because somebody driving from Melbourne to Disney on, on his way to work every day had to drive by it and look at that cross and he was offended. And he filed suit against the city of St. Cloud. And the city of St. Cloud, like most of the leaders now and just as much then, they had no backbone. They refused to fight for it. and They just took it down. They just removed it. But we see this suffering. The suffering is going to be real. This is the struggle that, that is waged by our spirits to overcome all that we experience in this world. All the flesh of this world. The genuine believer struggles against everything that, that, that keeps us from living that abundant life. Every time we try to bring something under the control of Christ, the world reacts against it. The world pushes back against it. The believer is to, is to suffer with Christ in order that we may be glorified with Christ. Did you notice the end of that verse? You know, it talks about sufferings, but the end of that verse is a glorious hope. It says, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be re revealed in us. What glory is going to be revealed in us? That's his glory. It's saying the sufferings, even though they seem really, really bad, just because we have those sufferings today and we think that they're so bad, and, and sometimes they are. I'm not trying to minimize the sufferings by any means, but we need to understand that compared to the glory that's going to be revealed inside of us, they don't even compare. It's not even close. It's not even close. Sufferings do serve a purpose. People say, well, why do we suffer? Because when we suffer, what does it do? It drives us to rely more and more upon him. Rely more and, poor, more and more upon Jesus Christ. When we suffer and we're brought to our knees, it forces us to realize that what we're doing isn't working. That how we're living and how we're trying to, to fight against the struggles of this world, it's insufficient. And it forces us to rely upon Him and upon His strength because He is all sufficient. He has the power to take care of us. Verse number 19 of our text in Romans, Romans chapter 8. We're going to read a few verses here. Verse number 19 says, For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together, until now. You see, it's not just us that suffers. It's not just the Christians that suffer. It's all of creation that is suffering. The entire world. You know, the ecologists and the global warming fanatics and the others that are out there, you know, they, they push this mantra and they, they kind of get it about half right. 
they blame all the world's problems on man, but specifically upon our upon our, our, our you know abuse of the of nature. And they're they're kind of right. It is our fault, but it's not our abuse of nature, it's our sinfulness. It's the sinfulness within man, the sinfulness that was brought into the world by Adam and Eve that's continued on. It's why the world is suffering. You see, the world suffers not because of themselves. The world suffers because of us. At least, at the very least, we can point at ourselves and say we bring on most of our own sufferings. The world can't say that. But we're not going to save the sufferings of the world by going to electric vehicles or drinking with plastic or with paper straws or, or any of that kind of stuff that just is such a minute issue in the grand scheme of things. If we really want to change the world, if we really want to help the, the, the suffering of creation of the world, then we start here on our hearts. When was the last time we had a politician that humbled themselves before God? Now, I know we have politicians that, that you know, give a good mouth service, and they, they pretend to follow God, but how many of you have ever seen them humble themselves before God? Get down on their knees and cry before God. Beg God for his, his wisdom and his guidance. You go back to our founding fathers, and you read some of their works, and you can hear their hearts breaking about their relationship with God. We don't have that anymore. We've lost that in the leadership of our country, not just our country, but around the world. When was the last time there was a world leader that stood up and humbled himself before God? When was the last time you saw that happen? If somebody stands up on the Senate floor now and declares, God, what happens? They're berated and an investigation starts. Because they have to be stopped. They have to be destroyed. Creation is suffering. Creation is subject to corruption. But creation also will be delivered from corruption. You see, there's a day coming when, when not only our sufferings will end, but the sufferings of all creation will end. That day is coming. In Revelation, we'll look at Revelation in a minute. In 2 Peter 3, 10, it says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing that, that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of person ought you to be in all holy conversations and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. You see, there's a time coming where this is all going to go away and creation is going to be restored. You know, we look for that day when Jesus Christ comes back to take us, but understand, that's just a piece of it. That's just part of it. He's going to restore all of creation. Saw one of the pundits on TV saying, if we keep going the way we're going, the world will be destroyed in 20 years. They've been saying that ever since I can remember. It's always 20 years, and then we get to 20 years, and then, well, it's going to be 20 more years. And here's the reality of it. The world will not be destroyed in 20 years. The Bible gives us a timeline. Now, we don't know exactly when, but there's some pretty big things that have to happen before the world is melted. The next big event that we're waiting for is for Jesus Christ to come back for his church. He's coming back for his people. He will come back, as it says, like a thief in the night. He's going to take us home with him. And then a period of time is going to start on this earth, seven years of, of of tribulation, three and a half is going to be really, really bad. 
And then the next three and a half is going to be make the first three and a half look like a cakewalk. It's going to get a lot worse. And then we're going to have a couple judgments. We're going to have a judgment where the lost in the world is, is judged and their names won't be found written in the, in the book of life. They're going to be cast in the hell. hell there's another judgment that's going to take place for us where we'll also be graded by our works. See, the, the lost will be graded by their works and found that their works are insufficient to get them into heaven. We're going to be judged by our works, not to see if we get into heaven, because that's not based upon our works. It's based upon our, on Jesus Christ. But our works will be judged and will be rewarded based upon those things. There's two judgments coming. And then there's going to be a time, a, a period of, of, of uh, a millennial reign of a thousand years. It's kind of right there in the name, millennial. Of a thousand years. And then, finally, Satan and the rest of his minions will be cast into hell, the lake of fire, for all of eternity. And then we get a new heaven. And then we get a new earth. You see, all of creation is going to be restored. We, we read these verses in Romans sometimes, and we just kind of read them so we can check a, a box off on our, on our reading plan, but there's powerful things in here. God doesn't include things that he doesn't want us to know. And he wants us to understand that he realizes we're suffering. He realizes all of creation is suffering. He wants us to realize that he's already given us some, some temporary solutions to that suffering, but that a permanent solution is coming. <clears throat> Verse number 23 of Romans chapter 8. Now, we just talked about creation. Verse 23 starts out, says, Not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to it the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, what doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that, we see not. Then do we, with patience, wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth with our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for we, as we ought. But the Spirit itself making intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit. Because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So he acknowledges the fact that creation is suffering, but he says it's not just creation. He says it's us too. We're suffering right along with creation. You see, we're linked with creation, whether we, whether we like it or not. Whether we're adopted out of this world or not, we are still linked to the creation of this world because we're part of the creation of this world. And we're linked to it. It gives us four things in here that delivers us. The first is the, being the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. That term first fruits, it, it means a couple things. Actually, one, the first fruits of the Holy Spirit means that we, we have that possession of the, the Holy Spirit. It means that we have the Holy Spirit within us. And then, but it also means that through us, the, spirits, the, the fruits of the Spirit are exhibited. So we, we have the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit isn't something that just sits inside of us. The Holy Spirit is something that grows out of us, that is shared with the world. Now, let me, let me just so I don't confuse anybody, I want you to understand, we are not saved by our fruits, okay? We create fruits because we're saved. Does that make sense? It's an important distinction because there's a lot of people in pulpits today saying that you're saved by your works and our works cannot save us. If our works could save us, Jesus Christ wouldn't have to die. But because we're saved, we're going to produce fruit. 
We may produce a little bit. We may produce a lot. That depends on how close we are and how, how much uh, Jesus Christ is abundantly living in us. But we're going to produce fruit. We may not look good, but we're going to produce good fruit. Because it's not about us, it's about him. You know, we, live in, we live in a part of the state that used to be covered with orange trees. If you guys have been here for more than 20 years, you, you know what I mean. But we got rid of them all 20 years ago because the world was going to end 20 years. No, that's not why. Um, through different things for different reasons, uh, we don't have the, the crops that we, we used to have, mainly, mainly because of greed. But we don't have the cross. But it used to be really neat. As a kid, I'd walk home from school, and we'd pass by all these orange groves. And we knew most of the growers. And we would, you know, we'd stop, and, and they'd tell us, you know, when you're walking home from school, just go ahead and take some. You know, we'd eat oranges on our way home every day. And, you know, we'd come home all sticky and dirty and everything from walking home from school. And it was great because we had all those. But every once in a while, you'd see a tree that didn't produce any fruit. It grew up just like the rest of them, but there was something wrong with it. And you know what they would do with those trees? Periodically, they would go through and they'd mark those trees and they'd cut those trees down and they would drag those trees and they'd throw them in the fire and they'd plant a new tree there that would produce fruit. That's a picture of the Christian life. That's a picture of the church. Think about it. You know, we're, we're all trees, but the real fruit trees are producing fruit. But there's some counterfeits out there. This world is full of counterfeit Christians. And the way you can tell a counterfeit Christian is they're not producing fruit. They don't produce fruit. And so God will cut them down, cast them in the fire, and raise up some, a new fruit, a new tree that will produce fruit. We're going to struggle. We're going to suffer. But it's our hope that helps deliver us. Hope saves us. Hope is, it, It's that, that hope, and, and hope in the biblical sense isn't like hope that we normally think of hope. You know, a lot of people this week were like, oh, I hope I win the lotto or Powerball, whatever it's called. I hope I win that. And millions of people across the country were hoping they'd win it, and their hope didn't come true. But they had hope. But what was their hope based upon? Nothing. You see, when the Bible talks about hope, it's a different kind of hope. Because it's not a hope that's built upon nothing. It's a hope that's built upon the reality of Jesus Christ. So when we say we have a hope of heaven, it's not like playing the lottery. We have a hope that's based upon Jesus Christ. It's a sure thing. It's not a gamble. So we have our hope. And then it talks about our prayer. Our prayer helps deliver us. I find it really interesting here. You know, see what it says about prayer? It tells us we don't know how to pray. You know, it's interesting. You know, we've been we studied quite a bit about prayer on our Wednesday night groups and all. And and you know, it, prayer is a powerful thing. But we've kind of relegated ourselves to a lot of churches that we we pray seeking the hand of God. We pray saying, God, do this. God, heal this. God, give me this. God, bless this person. And what we're asking is, God, give me a present, give me a present, give me a present. But when we see people in the Bible, like David and other people that are praying, they're not praying for the hand of God, they're seeking the face of God. You see, prayer should be an act of worship. And when we pray, we should not be seeking the hand of God until first we seek the face of God. Now, it's okay to seek the hand of God. Matter of fact, God tells us in James, you have not because you ask not. But we seek the face of God first. We seek that closeness. 
we seek that audience. Remember, we did a, we did a, uh, uh, an example of that, seeking the face of God. You remember when we did that? Yeah, they're both smiling. We had them sit. And, well, you know, I'm not going to tell you what we did. We're going to do that when, uh, and when we talk about prayer next time. We're going to do it. Well, we'll use you guys. She's panicking right now. We're not doing that today. But we're going to do an example. We'll, we'll use that for, uh, for a sermon today. But we did an example of seeking the face. And seeing the face of God is an act of worship. Prayer is worship. It's not pulling an emergency because, oh, God, I don't know where I'm going to get the money for this bill. Or, God, I got bad news from the doctor. Or, God, this person is hurting. Or this, and, you know, we should go to God with those things, but we need to seek his face first. Seek his face. Because the Bible talks also about his hand being shortened to us. We don't want his hand shortened to us. But he tells us here, he tells us that we don't know how to pray. He tells us that we don't know how to pray. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. We don't know what to pray for, and we don't know how to pray. That's a pretty startling statement, isn't it? As simple as prayer is, he's admitting. And by the way, he's not saying you guys. He's saying us. See, God was using Paul to write this, but but at this point in time, Paul's including himself in this. And and Paul was a very well-educated man. A man that lived his life after becoming Paul, when he wasn't Saul anymore, lived his life following God. And he says, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to pray for. I don't know how to pray. He says, but in in verse 26, he says, but the spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So when we go to God, the Holy Spirit takes our groanings, takes those thoughts, takes those feelings that are inside of us and takes them and cleans them up and gives them to God. Have you ever been part of a lawsuit or something when you've had an attorney that had to speak for you? You, know, you talk to the attorney, you tell the attorney your story, and if he's a good attorney, when he goes before the judge, he retells your story, but it sounds so much better, right? You know why? He knows how to talk to the judge. He knows how to talk to the one that makes, makes the choices, makes the deliverance. And when we go before God, when we go and the Holy Spirit sees our groanings inside of us, he sees everything that's inside of us, he takes all that, and he goes and he shares that with the Father, but he shares it perfectly. And people say, I don't know what to say when I pray. Just get on your knees. Close your eyes. Forget about everything else around you. And ask the Holy Spirit to look inside you. He knows what you need. He'll clean it up. Use whatever words you can think of. But don't worry about getting the words wrong. You ever fell asleep when you were praying? I, I used to do that. I used to feel so guilty. I'd wake up I'm like, oh. And I feel so guilty. I don't feel guilty anymore because you know why? Because when I go to, into prayer, it's such a comfort. It's like everything is released from me. Everything comes off my back and it's just like, and I'm talking to God and he's hearing my groanings and he's hearing my utterings and he's giving me peace. And then he, I, he just puts me to sleep sometimes. So I don't feel guilty anymore. I wake back up and I'm like, where was I? Oh, praying. And I go right back into praying. Best nap you'll ever have. Prayer naps. So don't feel guilty about that. Don't, don't feel guilty about the way you pray. Because God, if, you're tr- if you truly want to, to reach out to God, if this is truly your heart, so you're not doing it just to get stuff, if you truly want to talk to God, He's going to hear you. And He's going to hear it the way it's meant to be. Our words fail. 
It amazes me that anybody would think that and have the confidence and think that they could possibly intelligently correspond with an infinite God. We've got to have a helper in between. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, cleans it up. Cleans it up and helps us to, to be delivered through our prayers. We don't know what to pray, but it also says the Holy Spirit helps our infirmities. He helps our infirmities. Now this is, the Holy Spirit, just as a caveat, the Holy Spirit helps with many of our infirmities. But in this particular passage, we're dealing with prayer. And so he helps with the infirmities of our prayer. All those things that we don't know how to say, but they're inside of us. All those things that we want to say, but we don't know how to say them. He helps with those things. He makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Just the simple struggle of our lives. 1 Corinthians 16.11 says, Seek the Lord in His strength. Chronicles. 1 Chronicles 16.11, Seek the Lord in His strength. Seek His face continually. And lastly, I want you to see that it's God that delivers us. We're not delivered by our own hands. We're not delivered by our works. We are delivered by God. It's God that searches our hearts. It's God that sees what we need. God says in, 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 in Jeremiah 17.10, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. God searches our hearts. The Father knows the mind of the Holy Spirit. Why does the Father know the mind of the Holy Spirit? Because they're both God. You know, this. I use the, the analogy of the attorney going before the judge, but that's a really a flawed analogy. Why? Because the judge doesn't know what the attorney's thinking. He can, only, he can only hear the words. The Holy Spirit, God, the Father, knows what the Holy Spirit is thinking because they're the same God. And so there's no, there's no question, there's no getting it wrong. They understand each other. He searches our hearts. He knows the mind of the Holy Spirit. And God will answer our prayers and meet our needs. John 16, 23 and 24 says, And in that day ye shall ask me nothing in my name. Ask and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs, but the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. He hears us and he meets our needs. He answers our prayers. Not always the way we want. Not always the way we expect. But he answers. You know, it makes sense to trust him because you know, our, we're, such, we're so limited by our finiteness. We're, we're so limited. You know, I have a hard time remembering what happened yesterday. I have a hard time remembering what's happened this morning. I have no idea what's going to happen this afternoon. I can make a, a guess based upon other Sunday afternoons that I know what's going to happen, but I don't know really what's going to happen. Those 68 people that got on that airplane weren't expecting the end they met. So I don't know. I, I barely understand and comprehend what's happening right in front of me. And a lot of that I get wrong. And then I remember it incorrectly later. A lot of that I don't get right. But you know what? God, 
He knows what's happening right now. And he doesn't remember what happened yesterday. He knows what happened yesterday. And he knows what's happening tomorrow. Why? Because he's already there. So when I pray to God, I don't pray, God, I want you to do this, and I want you to do this, and I want you to do this. I say, when I pray to God, I say, God, this is what we're facing. Can you show me how we're going to go through this? Can you show me, if not the whole thing, God, can you show me the next step? Because I don't even know what the next step is sometimes. And he shows the next step, and we take the next step. This is a powerful passage. It acknowledges our sufferings. It acknowledges that God is actively working, not just today, but for all eternity to remove those sufferings. That's powerful. We serve an amazing God. But all this hinges upon the fact that we've accepted Him as our Savior. That second part where we read, it said, where it said even us, not only they, but, but ourselves also, which starts in verse 23, that's only for the adopted. That's only for the saved. The rest is going to be wiped away and made new again. We don't get wiped away. We just get new again. There's a huge difference. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I pray you'll do that today. Don't leave here today without knowing for sure. If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, let today be that day. Let today be the day that you secure your place in heaven. Let today be the day that you get your help meet for the infirmities of today. What are you waiting for? When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died for your sin. All you have to do is receive it. All you have to do is receive it. Maybe you're living in, maybe you're going through some struggles today. Maybe you're going through some struggles that, that you thought you were all alone in, that you were thought you were all by yourself in. Maybe you need to come to the altar today and pray to God and say, God, will you take this from me? Or will you show me what that next step is? Whatever your will is in this situation, God, will you show me and give me the strength and the peace to be able to follow whatever it is you tell me to do? Will you do that today, God? If you want me to pray with you, I'll be happy to pray with you. If you want to pray by yourself, you can do that. If you want somebody else in here, we're all family. If you want somebody else to pray with you, just take him by the hand walk him out. Let's all stand.